And Lord, we acknowledge that our praise to you is full, even if our bodies aren't full. <laughs> and Lord, we are grateful that you accept praise from broken people. And that you heal us and you restore us and you give us. And we thank you for all that you give us. And we thank you that there is more to come. Yes. There will be new bodies that are never broken. And a place where every tear is dry. But now we lean into that and we ask you to give us mm -hmm. that eternal life yes. and health, goodness mm -hmm. in this moment, in this body, and in our body, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord, we do exalt thee. We exalt, we, we lift you up. We praise you. We come to you with our burdens, our needs, our hopes, our sins, our failures. Jesus, we trust you to be the answer to all of those. The way, the truth, and the life. Speak to us now from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And kids are dismissed to Big House and preschool back here. And the Illuminate class is also um, teaching a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. And... Uh, if you're an adult, you're welcome to stay in here. If you really don't want to be in here, we'll find you something to do with kids. Um, so uh, there's plenty of opportunities. <laughs> um, so what are your needs today? What are the, uh, what are the things you're bringing today? Um, what's the bad news? In your life. Um, this is our year to go and grow in God's overflow. We want to know what, uh, what is it that you're bringing? What, for example, what didn't you do this week that you should have uh, but didn't? What is it that you did do that you really shouldn't have but you did? Um, what is it that you need to bring to God? I want you to know that God has an answer for all of those things. So let's go to his word. Let's hear what the good news is. Um, we are with the uh, going of the church in Acts. The Jerusalem church has gone. And uh, with the first half of Acts was a lot about Peter. And uh, then we moved on, so we, we watched the gospel, and we watched this church in Jerusalem that was formed into the new people of God, that was fulfilling the hopes and desires of the people of God, it had always been this remnant of the people of Israel. <clears throat> we saw the good news spread from there to Samaria, to the Ethiopian, to, to uh, Cornelius, all the way to Antioch. And we saw a new kind of church born there, an appropriate new kind of church, reaching out not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And uh, a new kind of church, within, and we talked about the different ways that it was appropriate. We talked last time about how that new kind of church sent Paul and Barnabas to the nations. God spoke to them and sent them out to nations they had not, to the Gentiles, those non-Jews who were, uh, and, not, and far away, farther away. So the, the gospel is spreading beyond now the Holy Land. It, it, we're into Galatia now. They're, 
They are traveling from to Crete, uh, to Cyprus, first of all. And then today in Acts 13, they're moving on to uh, a new place. And, and, G, and Peter is bringing a new message, or, or Paul, sorry, is bringing a new message that says it's the new news. It's appropriate good news for the place that he's bringing it. And he says, Jesus fulfills our history, forgives our sin, make, and makes us right, and gives eternal life. So he's got a hope for our history, and a hope for our present to be just and right, and a hope for our future, life eternal, a different quality of life, a different quantity of life. And so with you, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 12, chapter 13, rather. So again, Acts 1 to 12 is the first half of Acts. Acts 13, the focus shifts. Now there's overlap, but the first half is focused on Jerusalem, focused on Peter as the main messenger. The second half is focused on Paul, and he's going out. He got all the way to Antioch, um, and now it's going past Antioch. They're sending it on, and Paul and Barnabas are on this trip bringing good news, sent by the Spirit and sent by the church. And so we're going to look especially at what their message was um, in, in this. So, um, there we go. Jesus has fulfilled your hopes is one of his messages. Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will make you right and just. Everybody wants justice these days, especially for those people to be just. Uh, we're a little scared to look at how, where we're not just. Um, mostly we're, I'm more just than those people, but we want everybody to be just and right. And Jesus will give you eternal life. Will you choose to follow Jesus? That's the question that Paul brings. So here we are, Acts 13, 13 to 52. Now, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship, so in, in Cyprus, for Pamphylia landing at the port town of Perga, there, Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. We'll talk about Mark later. What's happened to this deserter? What's going on? What, what happens to that? Um, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland and up to 3,800 feet to Antioch of Pisidia. So this is not the same Antioch in Syria. This is a new Antioch, all named after the same king of Syria. But, and they're up there. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. Now, this is their typical pattern. They typically go to the synagogue. Well, I mean, they're Jews. So why wouldn't they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? And why wouldn't they participate with their community? And when they go, after the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Now, this is typical. We, um, now, now, it's surprising to us because during the time when the Old Testament closed to the New Testament opening, these synagogues spread up all over because the Jews had been cast out in a diaspora into Babylon and spread out around the world so that this was prepared for the gospel coming in this new place. So we know what synagogues are. It just means a gathering of the men of Israel. We're actually in a synagogue of the sons of Jacob, uh, which is now our Bethel Christian Fellowship. You see the, the symbols around here, but it's, it's that same idea of... Um, and Paul, I want you to notice, is going home. And he knows what happens in the service. And it's very typical that there's a visiting rabbi. Of course, we'd ask him to give a word of encouragement. Paul is a rabbi. We want to hear what he has to say. He's trained, after all, under Gamaliel. He's, he's one of the best trained 
Rabbi. So, so they let him speak. And they call him a brother. So Paul stood up, lifted his hand to quiet them like a typical Greek orator. I don't know exactly what that sign is, but, and started speaking. Men of Israel, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. So who's in the audience? The audience is other Israelites, like Paul. God-fearing Gentiles. So this is Israelites like Paul, people who have converted to Judaism, who've been circumcised, who are following the law. And God-fearing Gentiles are people who are not ethnically Jewish, and they haven't decided to become circumcised, become part of the people of Israel, will follow the book, but they are interested. They see something different in this monotheism, in this way of, of the Jewish way and the, and the God of Israel that they are interested in. They haven't really decided yet if they're in or not, but they're there regularly listening and, and wanting to be a part of things, but not quite a part of things. Um, now, some of you may come here and you may feel like you're part of things. Some of you may feel like you're not quite part of things. I don't know exactly where you're at. In fact, my guess is most of us feel like we're not quite part of things because being a diverse church like this, it's probably not going to fit you. Just in case you were wondering, um, most of us don't quite fit here. Um, Paul, though, he's an insider because not only is this a synagogue, this is not so far from his hometown. This is diaspora Judaism. This is, they're Greek speaking. They're reading from the Greek translation of the, the Old Testament, the, the Septuagint. He is at home. So he's going home. And he's saying, so men of Israel and you God fearing Israel. So I want you to notice something. When you read scripture, what are we looking for? The first thing we're looking for is who's speaking and who are they speaking to? Or who's the author and who is he writing to? So in this case, we have a few layers, all right? Now, when you read a book, what do you do? Or an article or a, a blog or... You want to know who's writing and who are they writing to, right? And then you want to make sense of what they're writing in the normal ways we make sense of it. What, what's their point? What's the context around this? What are they trying to address? What's the, now, it gets trickier when it's 2,000 years old and we've never been there and it's in a different language. Admittedly? Yeah. But that's what's happening here. So the audience is diaspora Jews, and they're being overheard by some Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles, who all know the, the Old Testament in the Greek translation. And this is Paul's audience. This is also, according to my friend Ben, who did his PhD in Acts, he thinks this is also the audience of Acts, that this is Luke's audience, diaspora Jews who are out there who are trying to decide if, if this is what we should be following or, or should we follow the ways the, the people in, in Jerusalem are trying to tell us the leaders there or, or, or which, is Peter and Paul have different gospels or is it a different thing? What, what's going on with this? So that's Luke's, both of them have the same audience. So some people say Luke is a Gentile, which he is, and he's writing to Gentiles. Well, my, my friend would say he's writing to diaspora Jews. Um, but Gentiles are listening in, okay? Us, Gentiles. Um, and then there's a third audience because the third author is, the other author through all of it is the Holy Spirit. So God is writing. So when I used to teach hermeneutics, I try to tell people, you understand the Bible like any other book. 
You have to understand what the words mean, what the context mean, what the sentence makes sense. You have to understand it in that language, in that context, and how it relates to the rest of the book, just like you would in reading any other book. But you obey it like it's the Word of God. You get the difference? So you read it like any book, you obey it like the Word of God, because it's the Word of... People wrote this thing. You read it like you... Because it's normal words, written by normal people. Understand it like any book, obey it, like the Word of God. Get the difference? Here's why I say that, because sometimes we come to Scripture and we think it's written directly to us, so then anything we don't understand, we spiritualize somehow. So like my, my uh, students in, in Tanzania, they would say, you know, that you know, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, you know, uh, says, Paul says to Timothy. They're like, well, the, the stomach is the Holy Spirit and the wine is, you know, I mean, the Spirit. No, 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 it's just... He's sick. He's just giving him a little medical advice. Maybe you like the advice or not, but you get the point? It's just normal. Writing, that's how we understand it. But we have to know who the audience is. So the audience, again, is for both Luke and Paul, diaspora Jews in this setting. And the Holy Spirit is also talking to us. It's not written to you, but it's written for you. Following me? All right. So, and notice he's saying men of Israel, and he, and he goes right into, this is hometown. Not quite hometown, but home region for Paul. He is totally comfortable in this context as a rabbi in a diaspora synagogue. It's very similar good news to Jews. If you look at Jesus back home in his synagogue in Luke 4, you'll find a lot of similarities to this message. And Peter at Pentecost in Acts 2, very similar to this message. And now Paul is back home in a synagogue in Acts 13. I had not noticed this, so I had written a paper even in college about the similarities between Luke 4 and Acts 2. There's a lot of similarities where Luke is launching these two parts of his, of his gospel. You know, Jesus is filled with the Spirit, there's fasting, and there's all this similar stuff. I had not seen until this week, oh, Acts 13 is very similar. You look at the whole context. They, they're fasting and prayer. Jesus was fasting and praying. Antioch, they're fasting and praying. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just list you off a few. But I want you to go back. And some of you are studying this in your small groups too. Go back and make this comparison yourself, all right? In uh, Luke, in each of them, there's a selection. The Spirit selects people. There's fasting and prayer in Luke 4 and also in Acts 13 and prayer in Acts 2. They're filled with the Holy Spirit in each sense. There's a lot of Old Testament reading and quotes, especially from the Greek translation. All of them are saying, this is all fulfilled now in Jesus. All this stuff in the Old Testament. In Acts, remember last week, they're amazed at the teaching, for he spoke with authority. That's what they said about Paul, and they said about Jesus. Um, there was a demon cast out, or a confrontation with the demonic, in both Luke 4 and Acts 13. Um, and in every context, there's an initial positive reception, and people respond really well. And then, jealousy and envy comes in, and there's a bad reaction. And so there's a mixed response. response. Um, the jealousy of the Jewish leaders comes to a, a violent rejection in each of the cases. Anyway, um, there's more than that there. But it's always, in every context, it's a welcoming understandable message to this audience, and it's also challenging and transforming. Welcoming and transforming. We've been talking about that, right? So, and Luke is trying to make the point by 
selecting these particular things, that this is the same message. Jesus' message is the same as Peter's message, is the same as Paul's message. And the message is Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. It's a message about Jesus. Now, what you'll find interesting is, as you go on, Paul's appropriate good news is different to different people. So his message to fellow diaspora Jews in the synagogue is one thing. When he goes to pagans in Lystra and they're trying to make him one of their gods, he's got a different message. He doesn't preach about forgiveness of sins. He doesn't preach, but he preaches about Jesus. And when he goes to the pagan philosophers in Athens in Acts 17, again, he preaches something different but the same. It's always good news. He always uses that word, and it's always about Jesus. But he can't assume, for example, in those other places, that they think anything about the Bible or that they believe there's one God. But here he's at home and he's got all of that in common. So let's look at what he says. Um, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors. Notice how he can say our, because he's at home. And made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. I also want you to notice who is the subject of his sermon. All the way through it's God did this, God did this, God, did, God graciously did this, 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 and this. And he's going through our history because he's talking to them. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong in their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful army, led them out of slavery. God put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. Why does he put that in there? Because his name is Saul, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He just wants you to know, by the way, I'm an insider here. You remember Saul from Benjamin? Yeah, Saul from Benjamin. He's talking as an insider. By the way, did you notice that his name changed from Saul to Paul in Acts right here? Why is that? People have made a lot of different guesses. I'll, here's my understanding, is that when he goes to a different audience of Gentiles, he starts using Paul. Whether that was a number, another one of his names, or he, he picked it up on the way, he uses a different name. And I want you to notice that this is very important. Some of you from Africa and other places know that when missionaries came there, they made people change their names. When you get baptized, you've got to have a Christian name or a name of one of the saints, because you've you got to leave your paganism and become like us. The implication was... One of, my, one of my friends, I, his name was Paul, Paul or Peter, I can't remember. And then I talked to him, and he said, oh, no, no, I got baptized. My name's Richard. I'm like, what? He had been Catholic, I guess, and became part of some other church, and now he was Richard, because that was a really uh, name, whatever. Um, this is a difference. Paul changes himself and his identity to be a good missionary. To be under, he didn't make other people change. You know, what you do is not really very good. You need to become like us. This is one of the key things Paul doesn't do. He doesn't say you have to become a Jew. You can be who you are. You can be in Zuzi. You don't have to become Peter. So, um, or Paul. So anyway, Paul changes his name from Saul to Paul in this context. And Peter and Luke starts using that because he's changing for his audience. God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 
And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Here is his point. Jesus is the one we have been waiting for to save us all this time. And then he comes to the contemporary witnesses. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he, had, he was asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he's coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who's fulfilling all of our hopes. That's his message to these Jews who are like him. And it's a message to us. Jesus is the one fulfilling our hopes. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles. Notice he's able to say brothers. He's an insider. This message of salvation has been sent to us to save us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Indeed, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal, legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. So the good news is Jesus came. Jesus fulfills all that we had hoped for. He is the Messiah and the Savior, but yet, never mind your Jewish leaders. They didn't get it right. They rejected him. But he is the one, even that, and he was killed. He was crucified. He was sacrificed. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, notice this fulfillment, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Again, it's all about what God's doing. God raised him from the dead, and over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. Notice even how he's saying it. They're the witnesses to who? The people of Israel. Because the message is... He's talking to Israelites, right? And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. So his message is Jesus is the fulfillment, the Messiah, the Savior. He died and rose again, and he goes on and proves it from Scripture, again, from the Greek translation. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You're my son. Today I've become your father. For God has promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David has done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Notice how he's using scripture, 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 scripture. They can all, oh yeah, that scripture, oh yeah, that psalm, oh yeah, David, oh yeah. They know all this. So he can just reference it. Because they believe all this. So he's building from there to say, Jesus is the one. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Good news of forgiveness for your sins, for our sins too. Everyone who believes, who trusts in Jesus is made right in God's sight. That's something, we need forgiveness for our sins. 
most of us try to defend and shirk and say, well, I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm not really uh, whatever it is, okay? Am I, am I right? And I could list the sins, and you might like that list of sins. You might have a different list of sins. Other people might have another list of sins. But we all want to deflect it somehow. Well, I'm not really that way. I'm, not, I'm usually a re- We need forgiveness, not excuses. This is something the law of Moses could never do. The law of Moses had a lot of stuff about sacrifice and ways to cover your sins, but not forgive and completely cleanse your sins that Jesus stepped in and fulfilled. And you know what? No list of rules that you have is going to make you feel justified. Well, even if it makes you feel justified, you're not going to be justified. Okay? You can do all the things you want to be environmentally friendly and and anti-racist and whatever, if if that's your list, or you can be all the things you want to be appropriately, whatever your list is, okay? You're not going to feel justified. You're not going to really be just. Only Jesus can make you right with him, with God, and forgive all of your sins. Now that the sins keep changing, we keep accusing each other of different things, but we all know we're guilty. We all feel the shame. And being better than those people isn't good enough. Okay? No list of rules, whether it's a Pentecostal list of showing up at church every time the doors are open, or whether it's a, whatever the list is, okay? Only Jesus can make you right and forgive your sins. Be careful, though, he says. Don't let the prophets of words apply to you. Habakkuk said this about the Babylonian judgment that was coming. Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. Like, literally, die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if you, someone told you about it. So the offer is there and the warning is there. But don't miss this opportunity. So Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day. The people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Two things I want you to notice, this favorable reception. Just like when Jesus preached in his synagogue, people said, well, isn't this the son of Joseph? They, they looked on him with favor and grace initially. Likewise here, people are looking, and he urged, they urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Can I just remind you to continue to rely on the grace of God? Because some of us think we get in by grace, and then after that we do all the right things, and that's what makes us good. That's what makes us right. That's what makes us just. Don't. It's all about Jesus. His forgiveness. Continue to rely on the grace of God. Only Jesus and his grace is enough. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of God. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and urged, argued against whatever he said. Anybody ever had a little twinge of jealousy when the other church does so well? When people from another place or another color get some opportunities? For example, the church is growing fast in Africa. And the church is growing fast. We've got immigrants who are coming in with Christianity. If we as 
white American Christians are like, oh, no, 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 no. We want to keep it to ourselves? We get jealous about it? It's not going to work. Don't get jealous just when it goes with some other denomination, some other church, right? You know, I mean, the, the Episcopal Church over here is now another tw- city's church, and they, you know, it seems like it's going well, and I could be like, oh, well, how come they're doing it? No, oh, great. We got a new church down the street. They're doing well. Praise God. Um, and when somebody else is doing things, praise God. The Jews, though, got jealous. And this is what happened in Luke 4, right? I mean, in, uh, yeah, Luke 4. They were jealous when they started saying, well, those other people, the Gentiles, are going to also be part of this. They said, no, 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 let's throw Jesus off the cliff. It, it happened anyway. So then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. We got an opportunity. They got had an opportunity. But if you miss your opportunity, God's going to move on. Don't expect necessarily that, you, that you're going to have another opportunity. Uh, uh, I think it was Yancey writing in What's So Amazing About Grace. Somebody said, well, so if I leave my wife and, and uh, go with this girl who I really like, won't God forgive me? It was like, well, uh, yeah, if you really want forgiveness, if you really want to repent. doesn't seem like you really want to repent. <laughs> um, so we don't know that we're going to have another offer, Right? For the Lord gave this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Wait, who's a light to the Gentiles? I thought Jesus was a light to the Gentiles. Now they're saying we're a light to the Gentiles. Well, it turns out they're a light sharing Jesus to the Gentiles. It's the same thing. And we get to be what? A house of prayer for all nations. We get to be a light to all the nations. You are a light to the nations. Gentiles just means nations, as in not Jews, right? You are a light to the nations, bringing salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. I know the earth doesn't have corners, but you get the idea. Your map does, right? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and thanked the Lord for his message. The Gentiles are like, wow, we're insiders? We're in? Yes, you're in. And so were they. All who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but some of you are like, wait, God chose those who were going to be, have eternal life? Yes, he chose you. It's also true that the Jews chose not. You have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy. So those messages are put together, all right? It's all about God's grace that you have been welcomed into this kingdom. He chose you. Isn't that amazing? The reverse is not true that he unchose those people. According to this, they chose not to participate. But you have been chosen and you have a chance, therefore, to choose to follow. So there's two responses. 
Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection. They said, okay, you're going to be that way. We'll leave you with the results of your choice. We're going to leave this as a pagan place then. And went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they moved on and the people who rejected were rejected. But the people who got it were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is our opportunity. This is your opportunity to get the beautiful message of Jesus. So, which response will you choose? There's clearly, Paul is laying out a response. He's saying, Jesus is here. Jesus is offering you all of this. Accept it. But don't reject it because there's judgment that comes with rejecting it. God has chosen you. You now have a choice. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. So this is appropriate good news for us. Jesus fulfills our history, forgives our sin, and makes us right, and he gives us eternal life. He's got the fulfillment of your history. He's brought you to this point, us and you. You may not be able to make sense of all that, but Jesus is going to make sense of all that. Because he's the savior of your history. He's going to forgive you sin and make you right. And he's going to give you eternal life. So we're going into a communion at this time. And I just want you to remember that Jesus has fulfilled your hopes.